You're listening to the audio version of the Frontline documentary, America's Great Divide, From Obama to Trump. Here is episode five. Here's Donald Trump in a 1980 interview with Rona Barrett. For some people, the ultimate goal in life has been becoming the president of the United States. Would you like to be the president of the United States? I really don't believe I would, Rona, but I would like to see somebody as the president who could do the job. Why wouldn't someone like yourself run for political office? You have all the money that you possibly need. You've accomplished a great deal, even though you are only 34. Why wouldn't you dedicate yourself to public service? Because I think it's a very mean life. I, I would love and I would, I would dedicate my life to this country, but I see it as being a mean life. And I also see it as somebody with strong views and somebody with the kind of views that are maybe a little bit unpopular, which may be right, but may be unpopular wouldn't necessarily have a chance of getting elected against somebody with no great brain but a big smile. And that's a sad commentary for the political process. Over the decades, as Donald Trump watched and waited, the prospect of becoming president would grow, just as the nation was becoming more and more divided. It is time to heal America. Bill Clinton ran against brain-dead politics in both parties. And a leader must be a uniter, not a divider. George W. Bush said he was a uniter, not a divider. We are and always will be the United States of America. Barack Obama was introduced to the country saying there's not a blue America and a red America. And each of them, by the end of their presidency, the country was more divided when then, than when they took office. Ronald Brownstein, The Atlantic. It was in that division that Trump saw his moment. Former Obama advisor David Axelrod. He was looking for an opportunity, and his opportunity was division. His opportunity was mining resentment and weaponized race, and that's what he did. Former Trump advisor Roger Stone. This is a classic case of the time being right for a Trump candidacy. Now you have a level of dissatisfaction with the voters that we've never seen before, and they want somebody with the toughness and the independence, and nobody can bully him. He's viewed by voters as his own man, who will tell it like it is, whether it's politically correct or not. I am your voice. An age of unprecedented anger. Resentment, political conflict, polarization that arrived. And with it, Donald Trump. Crazed lunatics, the Democrats. Ready and willing to stoke America's great divide. The biggest event to date in campaign 2016. Top 10 candidates taking the stage for a primetime showdown. Businessman Donald Trump. 2015 GOP debate moderator Megyn Kelly. I had my research assistant research all the candidates who were going to be on stage that night. It is 9 p.m. on the East Coast, and the moment of truth has arrived. And pull anything interesting or controversial about them, right? Everybody had a binder like this, and Trump had a binder like this, right? At the time, Megyn Kelly was a star on Fox News. Mr. Trump, one of the things people love about you is you speak your mind, and you don't use a politician's filter. However, that is not without its downsides, in particular when it comes to women. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. 
Your Twitter account? Only Rosie O'Donnell. No, it wasn't. He knew I was going to hit him on something, and he guessed it would be women, and he got some line worked up. Your Twitter account? Fine, we forged forward. The, the convention center was laughing. But I was going to get through the rest of my question. For the record, it was well beyond Rosie O'Donnell. Yes, I'm sure it was. Your Twitter account has several disparaging comments about women's looks. You once told a contestant on Celebrity Apprentice it would be a pretty picture to see her on her knees. Does that sound to you like the temperament of a man we should elect as president? What I say is what I say. And honestly, Megan, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. I've been very nice to you, although I could probably maybe not be based on the way you have treated me, but I wouldn't do that. The way Trump sees media, the way he sees life, is all they like me or they don't like me. And in that moment, I got moved from the she likes me category into the she doesn't like me. And I do believe, I believe that night the anger was real. His anger at me was real that night. Thank you all very much. And that will do it for the first Republican primary debate night of the 2016 presidential race. Our thanks to the candidates. In his clash with Kelly, Trump was creating conflict, just as he'd done as a reality TV star. And afterwards, in Spin Alley, he would use the press to keep it going. Mark Leibovich, New York Times Magazine. Donald Trump shows up as if he needed this hit of adrenaline before he went home to New York. You guys okay? Yep. Yes, sir. Don't hurt yourself. Journalist Gabriel Sherman. It was like mosquitoes to, to a lantern on a summer night. I mean, the entire national press corps descended. People were being trampled, and camera equipment was flying all over the place. And I'd never seen a scene like this. I mean, I've seen many media stampedes, but nothing like that. What's your history with Megan? Megan, I think Megan behaved very badly personally. It's the question about women. You didn't like that? No, I thought it was an unfair question. They didn't ask those questions of anybody else, and I thought it was an unfair question. But you know what? The answer. It was just the beginning. Are you going to call Roger Ailes about it? At 3:40 in the morning, he lit up Twitter. Wow, Megan Kelly really bombed tonight. People are going wild on Twitter. Funny to watch. On the phone with CNN, he went farther. What is it with you and Megyn Kelly? She starts asking me all sorts of ridiculous questions. And, you know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes, uh, blood coming out of her wherever. But Trump recognized that it was a good storyline, and he kept fuel going under that fire because he knew some portion of his audience loved to see him challenging you know, a powerful woman, never mind a woman at Fox. And so he accurately deduced that this would drive his numbers up with some segment of his base. Trump had a powerful ally in the attack on Kelly, the right-wing website Breitbart, and its leader, Steve Bannon. Fox has chosen a side. It's so evident in that debate that they're there to kneecap Donald Trump, okay? They're there to take him out. And that's when we go, okay, we run 20 stories on Megyn Kelly. I get Tony Lee and Matt Boyle, my two hammers. They go right after Megyn Kelly. We're gonna Linsky her, right? We're gonna cut her out from the, call her out from the herd and just hit her nonstop. That's when all war broke out. That's when Breitbart, that's when you had to choose sides. In taking on Fox, Bannon and Trump were inciting the kind of conflict Breitbart's readers thrived on. She is a low-life Everyone stop We need to Fox chop her off at the knees. 
We look at the comments section. These things are getting 10 and 15,000, 20,000 comments. Meg is the type for a quickie in the men's room. The whole Trump, all the Pepe's, all these Trump guys were pounding in here. Kelly needs to be put in her place fast and hard. It was scary at times. And Breitbart kept lighting the fire over and over. And, you know, I had and have three young kids, really young kids, and the security threats were escalating. Uh, and we were doing everything in our power to convey to them that they needed to stop. It was a, it was one debate question, just one debate question. And he handled it fine, you know, he did. So get off of it. And they couldn't have cared less. I traveled around the country. Roger Ailes ran Fox News. Ruthless and powerful, Ailes was a force to be reckoned with. Ailes calls me up. It says, you got to knock off these stories. She's crying. She's all upset. She's getting death threats. I go, it sounds like a personal problem. I said, we're not backing off. We're going we're gonna to put more stories up tomorrow. If Kelly can't take the heat, go back to the kitchen. Trump should commission a statue of Ms. Kelly on her knees and place it in front of Trump Tower. Under the onslaught, Ailes eventually backed down. He needed Breitbart, Bannon, and Trump more than he needed Kelly. Roger definitely felt that he had to keep that sort of Breitbart wing of the viewership on board, that they were at risk, thanks to Trump's attacks on me and Fox in the wake of that debate. And, and he definitely wasn't going to lose 30% of the viewers, uh, as this man who, by August of 2015, we knew was the, the likely Republican nominee. He didn't want that guy to be driving a division between Roger and the viewers. Trump had won. And it was a sign of what was to come. Brutal, divisive, anything goes. Former Republican strategist Steve Schmidt. What Republican voters were looking for was strength. And in that moment, here's what voters saw. They saw a generation of Republican politicians who kowtowed to Fox News, who genuflected. Then they saw somebody take on Fox News, and Trump won. He broke Fox News. In the steel cage death match of Republican politics in that instant, Donald Trump became king. But across the political divide, For comedians, Donald Trump has been the gift that keeps giving, but for everyone else, he's the gift that keeps on giving women the creeps. From the coastal entertainment capitals. I know everyone's all up in arms about the comments I made about Megyn Kelly. I was not referring to hormones or menstruation, period. A kind of resistance by ridicule. Come on, Trump, if you're going to say something offensive, just come out and say it. Trump as a punchline. Trump insults more women by 6 a.m. than most people do. <laughs> but the reason that he doesn't like him. Donald Trump is back on the road campaigning in so Iowa. Far, Trump's political As Donald campaign Trump embarked on his presidential campaign, he doubled down on what his opponents found offensive. He exploited simmering divisions to fuel his political rise. Washington Week moderator Robert Costa. Trump has told me that he believes the country was already divided, that if he is just confrontational and a fighter, that people who feel aggrieved in the country will rally to him. 
It's an entirely unconventional approach to the presidency to rally your own base and to not really try to unite the country. And in arena after arena, Trump cultivated his growing populist base. Former Trump advisor Sam Nunberg. He loves the energy and he loves the adoration that he gets from those rallies. It's a critical tool for him, these rallies, to keep that connection. He called them the forgotten. Former advisor Anthony Scaramucci. The iconic forgotten man or the forgotten man and woman is somebody that's been left out of the system. There's a rejection of elitists and a rejection of intellectuals and certainly a, a disdain for the media uh, because those people feel that they're being looked down upon. Trump sensed what the crowds wanted. We're going to have such a strong military that nobody, nobody is going to mess with us. Nobody. Anger. We are led by very stupid people. Confrontation. We can't beat ISIS. Give me a break. Author Matt Bai. He loves to rouse passion and emotions. It's the thing he's best at. It's the thing he cares most about is sort of provoking emotion. And all the fire he was getting from the crowds was about immigration. It's going to drive the cars up with the illegals. Build a wall. Build a wall. Wesley Lowry, Washington Post. It spoke to real worries and frustrations that had been coaxed and had caramelized over the course of a decade across America, where white Americans were truly convinced they were losing their country. And the only opportunity they had to stop it was to elect this man who says he was going to do something about it. We are going to start winning bigly. Former Fox News anchor Megyn Kelly. Trump sounded like them. There was an authenticity to him that I think they connected with. He would drop an F-bomb. He said the P-word on the air about Ted Cruz one time. I was in Iowa, like, oh my God, what did he just say? That rhymes with wussy. <laughs> I mean, this happened, right? And I think there's a swath of the American public that, look, it's not like they love vulgarity, but they just loved what they felt was his authenticity and his willingness to throw a punch, which they felt was on their behalf. He spoke directly to their resentment at Washington, at the elites, us versus them. Anthony Scaramucci. He saw uh, what that forgotten man and woman was going through in the United States right now. I'm the avatar of your anger. If you elect me, I'll literally be an orange wrecking ball at the barricade known as a swamp, and I'll knock that barricade down for you. But I want the cameras to span the room. Go ahead, fellas, watch. They don't turn them. They don't turn them. They don't turn them. Go ahead, turn them. Look, turn the camera, go ahead. Turn the camera, ma'am. Turn the camera. You with the blonde hair, turn the camera. Show the room. Go ahead. They don't turn them. Why about, hey, you in the center, why don't you turn your camera? Show them how many people come to these rallies. Turn them, go ahead, turn them. Go ahead. PBS NewsHour anchor Judy Woodruff. Cable news was so fascinated with Donald Trump that they were putting him on the air almost every day. 
Every one of his rallies made great television, and the news media jumped on that and gave him a lot of airtime. And you know, we're in, look at all those live television feeds. It's always tough. Every time I speak, they put me in live television, so I have to make different speeches. These guys go around, they make the same speech hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Nobody cares. It's true. Author and journalist Mark Fisher. He was looking out at the camera bank, and he could see the red light on the camera, and that meant that he was live on CNN. You got CNN live, you got them all. Or Fox, or one of the other networks, and he said that what he tried to do in those rallies was say whatever it took to keep the red light on. Now, if you like the media, give them a big hand, and if you don't, give them a big boo. I had a feeling. New York Times TV critic James Ponowazek. Donald Trump running for president is a plane that crashes every day. There is news as long as he's talking. Uh, there's news even if he isn't talking, because who knows what he might say. Still awaiting uh, Donald Trump's arrival at the South Carolina rally in Gaffney. And so you have things like CNN just showing the empty podium where he's ready to get on stage. Breaking news, we are awaiting Donald Trump. He will speak live any moment. That empty podium is now news. Stand by, you're going to hear Donald Trump live. Because it tells you if you wait long enough, something crazy might happen again. Where we're awaiting Donald Trump to take the stage. This is out of Tampa, Florida. We're going to breaking news. Donald Trump about to rally thousands of supporters. Live pictures that we're bringing to you. This is of a Donald Trump rally about to get underway in Tampa. All right, we're awaiting the arrival of Donald Trump at a rally in Virginia Beach. Uh, these are live pictures right now as the crowd. And as the months wore on, Trump's message caught fire with a more sinister crowd. The anger only increased as it got farther along. Katie Turr, NBC News. It became completely acceptable. It became okay to come to a Trump rally and wear a shirt that says Hillary Clinton is a C-T. The campaign is continually dogged by a small and vocal number of white supremacists, Klansmen, neo-Nazis. Roger Stone was a longtime political advisor to Donald Trump. He has since been convicted of lying to Congress. This isn't a very large group of people, but they're very vocal. And they attach themselves to Trump. Former New York Magazine reporter Gabriel Sherman. Trump, whenever there was a moment to draw a line between himself and these extreme parts of the voting bloc, he refused. And I think without question, the only way you can interpret that is that he was going to use these groups to try to build this coalition. As anti-Trump protesters showed up at his rallies. There's a guy totally disruptive, throwing punches. Trump had no boundaries. In the old days, you know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. I'd like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you. That's true. And he starts seeing these really ugly moments, the rallies. Republicans Alec McGillis. Um, with uh, protesters, some, some of whom are, are non-white protesters, getting treated very violently by, by his supporters. Trump himself seeming to incite his supporters to, to go after protesters. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees, I promise, I promise. 
Trump was pouring fuel on the flames of division. His brand of politics and American anger were becoming one and the same. Author and journalist Matt By. He did not create this moment. He did not create the ugliness. He did not create the Twitter or social media universe. He did not create the xenophobia, the nationalism, the backlash against globalism and global crusades. He did not create entertainment politics, politics as a form of reality show television. He created none of this. He is its pure manifestation. The absolute logical endpoint of a bunch of trends in American life. I think he is its beneficiary, 100%. New poll has 87% of Republicans supporting Trump. The other 13% are currently standing on bridges looking vacantly into the distance. Critics say the poll is unscientific. Because even science can't explain how Donald Trump is still in the lead. Six flags on stage. He's like a president in an amusement park, all rolled up into one. Donald Trump wasn't the only one who seized the opportunity to exploit the nation's division. Vladimir Putin did it too, using a cyber attack to strike at the fault lines of American democracy. Author and journalist Greg Miller. The effectiveness of this interference from Russia depends on a couple things. It depends on the polarization of politics in America. There were divides, and, and Russia was pushing out material that exploited those divides, that broadened them, that called attention to those divides. Posts on black power. Staying woke, uplifting We are our proud people. to be black and stand On Southern pride. The Confederate flag represents heritage. Join our fight to save Southern Russian Korea. attacks played into deep-seated fears. If I win, Clinton wins. Exploiting both sides on the most divisive issues. Stop police brutality. Blue lives matter. Immigration. It's time to get rid of Paris. Guns. I'll keep my guns free to Race. White kids chant N-word in school bus. And that's when I realized, uh-oh, Things have gone too far. Radio host Charlie Sykes. There was a tipping point that took place, and I think the Russians didn't create that tipping point, but they exploited it. They saw the fissures of, div of division. They saw these, 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 these pivot points, and they went right for them. Trump, himself sowing discord and chaos, encouraged the Russians to continue their attack and target Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Author and journalist Peter Baker. I think they started their operation to intervene in the election with the idea of simply sowing discord and uh, weakening the United States as a country by doing so. It only later became uh, a mission to actually specifically elect Donald Trump. To help Trump, the Russians spread fake news about Hillary Clinton. Former GOP strategist Steve Schmidt. Vladimir Putin certainly has our number as a country. He understood how easily Americans could be turned against each other with Facebook. What Facebook does is obliterate the ability to tell the lie from truth, where what is real, what is fake, 
is not discernible and not knowable. And the consequences of that for a democratic republic are frightening at best to think about. One particular conspiracy theory was aired in America by a Russian propaganda network, RT. Theories about her health cut on. Exaggerated and questionable stories about Clinton's health. Under a microscope are Clinton's falls, cuffs, and head motions. And how do you talk about vice this video, filmed in June, went viral and started a slew of rumors that Clinton may have had a seizure. Former Clinton advisor Jake Sullivan. We were watching stories about Hillary Clinton appearing on Russian propaganda websites like Russia Today and Sputnik. A Democratic frontrunner has been forced to refute rumors of her deteriorating health, maybe. And then somehow ending up in very similar form in the right-wing media ecosystem of the United States. Breitbart, Infowars, even Fox News. What was once a concern voiced in whispers is now getting mainstream attention. We're talking about Hillary Clinton's health. Some have said it's like a mini seizure. What does it look like to you? Could be a post-concussion syndrome. You know, your balance is off, you, you, you're dizzy all the time, your memory It is was off. invented, overblown, but it didn't matter. The fact is, she's out there giving speeches every day and has to cancel them, having these coughing fits. New questions tonight about Hillary Clinton. Good evening. Health. It was a dramatic moment that's already being watched and rewatched. This morning is raising more questions about her health. And the candidate made the most of it. And she can't make it 15 feet to her car. Give me a break. Give me a break. Give me a break! As the fake news spread, conservative talk radio host Charlie Sykes saw how it hardened the divide. I'll tell you what my experience was in 2016, that the flood of these misleading or outright false stories was increasing. In the past, I'd always been able to push back on my audience and say, okay, you understand this is not true, this is not the case, uh, uh, you know, there are, there are not bodies stacked up in the, in the Clinton Library, uh, and here's the source of all of that. By late 2016, though, I was no longer able to do that. People were not willing to accept the corrections. And Donald Trump is counting on this, and this does fundamentally change our politics. Not sure why Trump would openly ask Russia to spy on Americans, but I'm sure he has his treasons. <laughs> Donald Trump is asking Russia to hack our former Secretary of State. A man running for president just asked Russia to hack America. Donald, your party wants you to appeal to the red states, not the red state. 